you want to show the world that you belong to Jesus Christ, you bear fruit. That's what we're going to explore today together in this series. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm preaching to you as the body of Christ and as the church, but what I want to do over the next several weeks is preach to you as a, as a single person and, and as an individual. Uh, the amazing uh, reality for us as Christians is, is we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You think about that. The God of heaven has come down to us in the person of Christ. He has died on the cross for the sins of the world. He's shed His blood for our eternal salvation. And that's amazing. But yet, while we walk on this earth, while we live on this earth, we have a relationship with Him. We did not have to buy our way in. We did not have to earn our way in. He came to us. He sought us out. And He has chosen us, set us apart to be in relationship with Him. Is that not amazing? You have a relationship with the living God. <laughs> you, as a, as, a, as a person, if you're in Christ, if the Spirit of God indwells you, if you're a teenager or a grown man or woman, you have a relationship with Jesus. You think about that. Maybe you've heard that for a long time in your life, but it, it, for me it's hard to fathom at times that I have a relationship with the Creator God. And so, the next few weeks, I want to explore what that looks like to have a relationship. How that affects the way we speak, the way we act, the way we be. How being in a relationship, living in the vine with Jesus, how it affects the way we love one another, we'll look at next week. I'm so looking forward to that. I've almost finished that sermon. I'm so excited for that. Because Jesus also says, you want to prove to me or to the world that you belong to me? Love each other. He's talking about those who belong to in the body of Christ. You want to prove that you belong to the Son of God? Love one another. So that's next week. Then after that, we're going to look like how, how our relationship with Jesus to live in the vine, um, how that looks uh, to the rest of the world, how, how vastly different we are in the way we live because we're in Christ, because we're living in the vine. And then the last week, we'll look at how does God help us to do all of this through the presence and power of His Holy Spirit. And so, before we dive in, let me, let me pray for us in our time together. Father, I thank You so much that You are so good, that You are so loving, that You are so kind, and that You are so gracious to give us Jesus. He's the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith. And His Spirit is among us today. God, may You use this Word to draw Your people in. May You use this Word, God, Your Word, to stir our affections for Your Son. May You use the power of Your Word through the work of Your Spirit to increase the depth and the knowledge of Jesus that we might love Him more. I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in this passage in John chapter 15, this is right after Jesus has introduced the communion, the Last Supper meal. So He has told His disciples, about the Spirit. He, he has prepared them for His departure, although they are very confused. He has, uh, he has dismissed Judas. And now, they're on the move. If you look at the very end of chapter 14, it says, Arise and let us go from here. So now the, 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 the final dinner, the final supper is, has ended. And now they're on the move. And, and I want you to know that when Jesus is speaking to the eleven now, He's not speaking to a crowd of people. This is very intimate. This is very private. This is very personal, these words that Jesus begins to share next. 
And yeah, Jesus was speaking directly to His disciples with these words, but, but Jesus is, is speaking to you and to me today. And it is very personal. It is very private. It, 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 private in the sense that He's speaking to you as His Son and as His daughter. And this is what He says, I am the true vine. My Father is the vine dresser. We're going to stop right there. <laughs> For Jesus to say that He is the true vine, it implies that there is already a vine that exists. There must be a bad vine because there's, he's saying, I am the true vine. And so if you were to read in the Old Testament, you will see that Israel, God's people, the nation of Israel, they were the vine. And there's a lot of different texts, passages, verses that would prove to uh, us that that is the case. And I, I, I don't want to spend time reading them all. I do want to show you in Psalm 80, you, you brought a vine out of Egypt the nation of Israel, God's people. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and it filled the land. So the nation of Israel is the vine. They were the, the uh, as uh, young people would say today, the OG vine, the, the original vine. That's, that's God's people. Israel was that. They were the vine. And, and so what's unfortunate about that is anytime you, for the most part, you read about Israel being the vine, it was always, for the most part, uh, in a negative light. Because Israel was not just a fruitful vine. In fact, they were the exact opposite. They were a fruitless vine. They did not bear fruit. And so when you saw Israel being mentioned or referred to as the vine, it was usually a pronouncement of judgment. So God talks about how the vine will be destroyed. They will be carried into exile. It was always for the most part, in a negative light. Israel is the original vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine. What is Jesus saying when He says, I am the true vine? In fact, I have another verse. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? Isaiah 5. When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel. Isaiah 5, verse 4. The problem with Israel being the vine is that they were a fruitless vine. They did not bear fruit. And so, Jesus, to, to, for Him to say, I am the true vine, that is a massive statement that He is saying to His Jewish audience. See, when I read this in 2021, I, I, I was raised in DFW. I know nothing about farming, okay? Most of us, we didn't grow up in an agrarian kind of culture like all of Israel did. This language is... Uh, close to home for them. See, they understand this quite well. For Jesus to say, I am the true vine, what He is saying, I am who you could not be. And I can do what you never could. See, the problem with Israel being the vine is they, they could never bear fruit in a way that pleased God. And for Jesus to say, I am the true vine, what He is saying is, I can be what you never could. And I can do what you never could. And for them to not be able to do that, that is okay because Jesus says, I'm the true vine. That is a massive and a beautiful and a profound statement all packed into one. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And I love when He's speaking to His disciples and how this all fits into you and to me in the city of McKinney today in 2021. Um, you could never be fruitful in a way that pleases God, Israel but I'm here now. I'm grafting in a new people. That's what Jesus does. He establishes a new covenant. He grafts in a new 
people. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 11. The life that I give, Jesus says, will cause you to bear much fruit. How amazing is that? Israel could not, be, uh, could not bear fruit that pleased God, so God through Christ grafts in a new people. Who are those new people? The Gentiles. The outside world. The kingdom of God is for everyone who believes. First to the Jew, and then to the Gentile. What is the power? What is the gospel? What's the power of God unto salvation? To everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. By the Spirit of the living God, a new people is grafted in to the vine. You are that Gentile. You are that new people, church. If Christ lives in you, you are a branch that is attached to this vine. And this vine produces fruit. And we're going to see just how He does that. But I love, because if you think about the nation of Israel, as you read through the Old Testament, who, who, who is the nation? They are the chosen people of God. They are the set-apart people. They're, the chosen, they're God's chosen people. But anyone across the world and to the ends of the earth become grafted into God's family tree. Those who believe in the Gospel, trust Jesus with their eternal salvation, believe that His blood that was shed on the cross is sufficient for your eternal salvation. You are united with Christ through baptism. You are grafted in. You are now a chosen people. A royal priesthood and a holy nation. That's who we are, church. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. And, and so that's what we're going to see. I am the true vine. Now what's the next part? My father is the vine dresser or, or, or the, the gardener, if you will. My father, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he, being God the father, the vine dresser, the gardener, he uh, prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the vine dresser is who? God the Father. And the vine dresser does what? He prunes. But that's not all he does. His job as the gardener is twofold, really. The first one is to take away branches that don't bear fruit. We see that clearly in verse 2. Part of the job as the vine dresser is to take away the branches that aren't producing fruit. That's job number one. Job number two is to prune that which is bearing fruit. Why? So that it will bear even more fruit. What does it mean for, for, for the vine dresser to take away fruit that's not bearing? Or, or to take away that which isn't bearing fruit? Look down in verse 6 if you have your Bible. We may have it on the screen. If anyone does not abide in me, we're going to look at that too. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown in away like a branch that withers and the branches are, ga- and, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. So Jesus, what Jesus is saying here, and as you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would see this. This isn't the only time Jesus kind of uses this language, but what he's saying here is, there are disciples of mine who really are not my disciples. There are some things that Jesus says that are some, they're they're a difficult pill to swallow, if you will. There's some words that Jesus says that aren't always easy to hear. This is kind of part of that. Jesus is essentially saying, there are disciples of mine who actually are not my disciples. They may follow me, but their hearts are far from me. They may give praise with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. 
if you want an example of that, look at Judas. You see, Judas spent three years following Jesus. He was with him. He was close to him. He was near him. He followed him. He listened to him. He heard the things that Jesus taught. Judas was a disciple of Jesus. Where is Judas right now? Why isn't Judas? It's because Satan had entered him and Jesus dismissed him. Go and do what you must. So Judas was gone. When Jesus speaks these words to his disciples, Judas is no longer a disciple. Satan had entered him. It kind of seems like the way I think about it is you've been saved. You've even been, you know, you've been baptized. You've been going to church. You've been following Jesus. You've been reading the Bible. And then somewhere along the way, you just walked away from the faith and you lost your salvation. That's what it kind of looks like with Judas. At some point along the way, his salvation was lost and Jesus dismissed him. But I want, what I want you to know is that you can't lose your salvation. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And here's how I can prove that. There is more verses that I could read. I want to read to you John chapter 6. All that the Father gives me will come to me, Jesus says, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus invites the follow. God chooses before that moment. Do you see? Jesus says, anyone that the Father gives me, I will never cast out. There are more texts. The sheep know my voice. There are many different texts to prove that if you truly belong to the vine, you will never be lost. So again, look at verse 2. There's so much in verse 2. Look back in verse 2 if you have your Bible. Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit. There are... Evidently, there's branches that are in Jesus. They're in Him. But they're not bearing fruit. And so those are the ones who are taken away. But don't miss this. There are branches not bearing fruit, but they're, but they're in Jesus somehow. They're, they're in Him. They, they're connected with Jesus, but they're not abiding in Jesus. And because they're not abiding in Jesus, they're not bearing fruit. And since they aren't bearing any fruit, they are taken away. And if they are taken away, listen to this, they aren't really Christian. See, this is a sobering thought. This isn't my opinion. This is what the Bible points to. It's a sobering thought to think that there might be people across the ends of the earth who are in the vine, but they're not in the vine. Are you tracking with me? They they might be lukewarm at best. And again, there are some startling words that Jesus has for those in Revelation who are lukewarm. So there is a kind of attachment of Jesus. There is a kind of connection to Jesus. A kind of disciple. A kind of believing. But it's, but it's not the kind that's been saved. This is what Jesus is getting at. The difference between the two is twofold in this passage. Bearing fruit and abiding in Him. Remember what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. We studied this last fall. Remember what He says. On that day, the day of judgment, 
the, the last day when we will all stand before the Son. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There is a kind of disciple that's not really a disciple. They're not bearing fruit. and They're not abiding in Jesus. You can do all of the outward work that you want to do. You can do all the stuff. You can show up and in your own strength just be there, support, serve, go do trips, give all the money. You can be there and it's evident and everybody sees it. You can do it all. <laughs> but if you're not bearing fruit and abiding in the vine, and all of that is for nothing. You're not truly a disciple of Jesus. That's what he's saying here. And yeah, it is sobering. So the obvious questions for all of us is, what does it mean to bear fruit? And what does it mean to abide in Jesus? And those are my two points today. My first point is this. Bearing fruit means pruning is necessary. Bearing fruit means pruning is necessary. Let's go back to verse 2 one more time. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, why would you take something that's already bearing fruit? Why would you prune it? Well, he says, so that it would bear more fruit. So the second thing, the second job, if you will, based on this passage uh, of the vine dresser, God the Father, is to prune. That's God doing that. It's the Father doing that. He's the one pruning. And so, if you, in this passage, as you read, you see the word fruit mentioned six different times times. Bear fruit. Bear more fruit. Bear much fruit. So how do we do that, preacher? How do we bear fruit? I think we often, and this is me, I speak from experience in my Christian life, this idea of bearing fruit is to do stuff. To go and to be and to, and to serve and to, to be active and, and put me in a position so I can do the job and, and I want to bear fruit and I want to make much of the kingdom of God and I want to, I want to be there. I want to do. That's not bearing. That's, that's not it at all, really. The Apostle Paul kind of alludes to this idea of bearing fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There is no law against such things. <laughs> In other words, who's going to oppose you when you're trying to grow? <laughs> if you can't get this down, guess what? There is no law. That prevents you from growing in the fruit of the Spirit. Amen to that. So to bear fruit is to live in the grace of God. It's to model the life and the character of our Lord Jesus. Jesus was perfect in living out the fruit of the Spirit. Unfortunately, we're not perfect. But in His grace, through the power of His Holy Spirit that lives in us, our Father in Heaven prunes us so that we might bear more fruit, so that we might grow and to live in the life and in the character and the model that Jesus set before us. It is possible to live like Jesus. Our Father in Heaven makes sure of that as He prunes. And the character and the life of Jesus to model that is unlike any life that you will ever see on this earth. A person cannot live this way if Christ does not indwell them. 
through His Holy Spirit. And the only way that you will live this way is if you are abiding in Jesus and bearing fruit for Jesus. Notice, uh, it's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, it's not plural. This is a a package deal. They all go together. It's not like, okay, I'm, I'm really being joyful and I'm being kind and I'm being loving and I'm being good, but, my, but I'm not being gentle and so I just need to work on gentle. It's not as if you just you, you nail gentle to a tree and just hope it grows. It's not how this works. You're not just, you know what, the first six, I'm just nailing it. But I really struggle with self-control, so if I could just put self-control on the tree and just pray that it grows. That's not how that works. It's a package deal. It's the fruit of the Spirit. If you're not being loving, it's unlikely that you're going to be kind. If you're not being kind, it's unlikely that you're, you're going to do good. If you're not doing good, then you know maybe you're not being faithful. If you're not being joyful, and are you going to have peace? Are you really going to have peace if, you're not, if you don't have joy? And if you're not uh, being faithful or, or gentle, then are you really going to have self-control? They all, it's a package deal, church. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits. And so to, to bear fruit is to live in the grace of God. To model the life of our Lord. It's possible to walk the way Jesus walked. Why? Because His Spirit indwells us and our Father who loves us, who loves His children, He prunes us. He prunes us. We're going to look at what that means to, for God our Father to prune us. I love what, what Paul says. The fruit of the Spirit is this. Against such things there is no law. Who's going to oppose your desire to grow? That's amazing. Who's going to oppose your desire to want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit? So we can all do the outward stuff. We can serve. We can, we can show up. We can tell people, yeah, we're Christian. We follow Jesus. We attend this church or that church. We can play religion. We can be super hyper-legalistic. We can do that all day. And we can conquer it. And we can be the best at it. And everybody can see. But to live in that way and there be no fruit, you are no different than the Pharisees. That's what Jesus would tell us today. In fact, that's what He shows us in, in, in the accounts of His life. To live in that way and there be no fruit, no abiding. You're no different than the Pharisees. We don't want to be the Pharisees. Fruit is what we want. Which is why pruning is necessary. So Jesus says, every branch in me that bears fruit, the Father prunes. Again, why get in the way of that which is already bearing fruit? Why, why cause a hindrance in that? So that you can bear more of it. The Greek word for prune is, is actually the word cleanse. So it's kind of like a cleaning. You, you could even uh, think of it as, as a cutting back even. Uh, which is interesting uh, for us to be cleansed because aren't we already clean? That's what Jesus says in, in verse 3. Move on to verse 3. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So how can we already be clean but still need to be cleaned? What, 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 is this, was this a mistake? Did Jesus make a mistake? 
Of course, we know that he didn't. So what, what word is it? Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. What word is that? It's the word of Christ. It's the message of salvation. God the Father, when he looks at your life, again, I'm, I'm talking to you as an individual. When he looks at you, at your life, he does not see your sin or your failures or your spots or your blemishes or all your mistakes. No, when God the Father looks at you, he sees the perfect righteousness and the perfect obedience of his son, Jesus Christ. How beautiful is that? You, you've become grafted into the family of God. You belong to Jesus. You're a branch in the vine. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. You have, in a sense, been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. But as a branch attached to the vine, although you have been washed and clean, there is still pruning to be done in our lives. So pruning is necessary, Jesus tells us. It's necessary. And uh, when, you, when you prune, or, or when you clean, what you're doing is you're taking away something to, to create room for better and fruit, uh, more fruit. Better quality fruit. You're cutting back. You're, you're cleaning up. Why? So you can create room so that there can be more beautiful and better quality fruit to bloom. Pruning, by the way, is not an easy process, or rather an easy season for us. And we'll, we'll talk about that here in a moment. Sometimes that's being confronted with our habits, hang-ups, our sin. Sometimes it's, it's uh, being convicted. Things have to be removed. Blinders have to come off. Accountability has to be set in for the purpose for there to be more growth. Why would you get in the way of fruit that's, that, that's there for the purpose to cut back, to shape, to prune, to clean, so that you can create more room for more better quality, beautiful fruit in the season or in the days ahead? Our God does not waste His time. He's not wasting our time. And His love for us, and His grace, and His mercy, when He looks at us, I see an individual who needs a little bit of pruning done. Because I know the plans I have for them, thus says the Lord. Plans to prosper them in the name of Jesus Christ. And so I'm creating room so that in the season to come, there might be better fruit. That's what our Father does in heaven. Uh, has anybody ever drank prune juice? Prune juice? I don't want to offend anybody, but that's the most disgusting drink on the planet. It really is. Prune juice is just, in my opinion, awful. Um, when I was living with my grandparents way back in 2007, um, I, for the sake of all of y'all, I'm just going to use the word bowel, okay? Okay, just use the word bowel. I was having a bowel issue, and, uh, uh, but prior to that, my grandpa, he, he keeps prune juice in his fridge all the time. Maybe he's the only person on planet Earth who does that, but he, he, he does it. keeps a bottle of prune juice in his fridge at all times, and he drinks two ounces of it, just two ounces of it every, every day to help him you know, stay regular. And I was living with him. I was going to school many years ago, and uh, my, and my bowel issue was, you know, that's all, that's all I really need to say. And so he said, and I had tried it, but by the way, prior to this, uh, and it, he used to try this, and I said, ah, oh, you know, that's the most disgusting drink. And so this, because of this issue, my grandpa said, you know what you need? 
You need eight ounces of prune juice. And so I did it. I trusted him. And um, I drank it. I, I plugged my nose, and it really didn't do much. And it was, I had to take multiple sips to get it down. It's like food you don't eat, but your parents make you eat it because it's good for you. And so you just kind of have to take a long time. That was me with this, this eight ounces of prune juice. Well, to my surprise, the prune juice, it worked. No more bowel issue. I had to drink that prune juice so that I could get the results that I wanted to get. Although it was disgusting, although I wanted to avoid it, it was what I needed for the results I needed. And there's a point to this. The same is true when the Father prunes us. When He cleanses us. That's what God does to us. He prunes us. And it's not easy. I'm going to show us how and why it's not easy. But it's necessary to live a more fruitful life for the glory of Jesus Christ. Or in other words, it's necessary to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. This pruning. Because when God, our Father, prunes us, when He prunes you, what He's doing is He's cultivating in you room to grow in the areas in which He sees you need to grow in. What love is that? That God would pull back so that you might grow for something later. That is love like no other. And so it's necessary, the pruning process. Uh, the pruning process happens in many different forms, by the way. Trials, discipline, the Word of God. I would even say that we are in a pruning season as a global church with a pandemic. There are people who have been watching church from home getting ridiculously comfortable there. And that is a danger because we are meant to gather together as the body of Christ. You can go find that in Hebrews. We are meant to gather together as the body of Christ. To worship Jesus as a church. To become Consistent and comfortable worshiping from your home is not the way Jesus has established the way we worship together. And that is a danger. And I believe that this last season is a form of pruning in the lives of some believers. Because we often use excuses on why we don't share the Gospel. Well, a worldwide pandemic is like, I don't have to share the Gospel. I don't have to see anyone. Because I'm forced to stay. But how will the Gospel be preached if we don't? use our creative minds, come together as the body of Christ even when we're prevented from doing things so that the church of Jesus Christ might flourish. This is a, this is a, a global pruning happening in the body of Christ, I believe. But Jesus says in His high priestly, uh, high priestly prayer in John 17, Father, sanctify them. Father, cleanse them in the truth. Your Word is truth. Paul gives us this, uh, kind of a, a glimpse or an example of what it looks like to be in relationship with Jesus. Ephesians 5 he cleanses us, what? By the washing of the water with the Word. The Word of truth. The Word of God. When you read the Bible personally, now, you read this regularly, you live in here, you abide in this living Word, this is, this is a part of your DNA, the reading and the, the saturating of the Word of the living God, when you do that, some things will be brought to light in your life. They just will. You can't avoid it. Now, if you're reading this because you're a Christian, then you're probably not, there's going to be some things that maybe you miss. 
But when you want to spend time with Jesus, say, Jesus, show me some stuff. Show me my heart, O oh God. Show me if there are any ways in me that are not pleasing to You that, that I might turn from them. Repent of Show me my sin, Lord, that I might turn from it. When you read the Bible, spending time with Jesus, wanting your life to be changed, your life to be transformed, your mind to be renewed, what's going to happen is some things are going to be brought to light. There will be some confrontation between the Spirit of God and you. Say, hey, it's going to feel like confrontation. Here's some... Here's, a, here's a, an area in your life in which you need, to, you, need to, you need to turn from. Maybe a change in your life that you need to make. Your sin is exposed when you read God's Word. That's God's love for you. That's a form of pruning it. And so if it just sits on your shelf and you don't read it, then you're not going to be pruned. And you're not going to be able to bear the thing which God your Father wants you to do God prunes us in His Word so that we might repent of our sin and be cleansed of all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Another form of pruning is through discipline. Through Hebrews 12, uh, the writer says, he talks about how God, our Father, in His love for us, disciplines us. He disciplines us. As a father disciplines his children, so does our Father in Heaven discipline us out of His love for us. To bring light that which hinders fruit bearing in order that we, he might, what? Correct us. I remember when I was in daycare, my mom was the director, which is like a failure for me because she made all the, all the, she had all the power and the authority. She had the, the office in the front. And, and because I was her son and I was attending this daycare, anytime I messed up, I knew what that meant to the copy room where the paddle was. And I thought, man, I am going places once I get to elementary school because my mom won't be able to paddle me anymore. But this was the 90s. And at that time, parents were, were able to give permission to the, to the principal to paddle their kids. I mean, that's a life sentence if you do that today. That's imprisonment forever. But at the time, in the 90s, and many of you know, growing up, it was even <laughs> there was more freedom. <laughs> but I remember what the paddle, I remember what the copy room meant and what the paddle meant. What that meant is I had done something wrong and I was being disciplined for it. So that I might change. So that I might change the direction on my actions. Discipline is not easy. For us to be disciplined by our Father, you know, it's not always easy, but it's necessary. It's necessary. See, God in His infinite wisdom sees there's room for my son or my daughter to grow so that they might bring me glory in the season to come. God's seeing way ahead of you. We're, we're finite. We're, we're you know, in the now. Discipline me. This is why, God, why? But God sees down the road. Months, years, decades. And that season of your life, God's going to use for His own glory. There's no wasted time in how our Father disciplines us. No wasted time. And so how many of you know that discipline doesn't feel good? Of course it doesn't. But could you believe that your Father, I'm talking about your Father, your Dad in Heaven, He's doing it for your good. That's hard to believe. It's hard to process. How could God discipline me for my own good? But My mind is finite. I'm in the now. I don't see the way God sees. I'm out of God's timing. And so God sees, you know, maybe... For you, it's a, it's a ministry 
or a job or a relationship or a position in which pulling you back from, cutting you out of, for, for the process of being pruned, for the season to come. And, so, and many of you, if not all of you, you can relate. There was a season in your life, I know that's when God pruned me. He was molding, he was, he was cutting things around, things that I wanted so desperately felt I needed, but God was pulling me away from. He was cleansing me. He was, he was pruning me so that in the season to come, I might bring him ultimate glory. The fruit that is available to us if we would just know that the pruning process is necessary. Necessary. Another way that God, and what he's doing is he's cultivating in us He's cultivating in us the ability to, to live in the fruit of the Spirit. Another way that God prunes us is trials. Again, this is something, um, I might say this to you, and you might think, you're crazy because you don't know me and you don't know what I'm going through. And that's okay. But the Bible says that trials, they're for our good. And of course we don't see that in the now. Absolutely not. But many of you can testify. I remember it was the hardest season of my life. I remember I fell on my knees and I prayed, God, why? Why is this happening? In the midst of a hardship, in the midst of a trial, in the midst of a, of a difficult time. God, why? Somehow through the power of His Spirit and the grace of a loving Father, he is able to sustain us in that hardest, most difficult time so that when we come out of it, we look back, maybe that's months, maybe that's years, maybe that's decades. We look back, I say, God, I know that was a season of pruning. How many of you have you've gone through an experience and years later, you're able to comfort another believer, a brother and sister in the faith? I've been where you've been. And I, and I know what God taught me in that season. And I want to give you that wisdom today. That's God being outside of our finite minds and time. And He's using all of these things for our good and for His glory. He's a good Father. There's no wasted time. James, the brother of Jesus, says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face or meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or, or, or patience or perseverance. Even. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. How many of you counted all joy in the midst of a trial? Probably none of you. <laughs> Who's going to be joyful in the midst of a trial? Nobody. And that's normal. That's normal. I'm going through the hardest time of my life, but you know what? I'm just so joyful. Oh, well, that's just a blatant lie. Let's just be honest with each other. James isn't commanding us to have joy in the trial, church. But what he is saying is that there are seasons of hardship, seasons of difficulty. There, there are times in our life when we face stuff that is not easy so that God can grow us in the days ahead. So we can look back and we can have joy in the Lord for His faithfulness in that season. How God came into our lives and He pruned us and he, and, he, and he shaped us and He prepared us for the season ahead, whatever season that is. Maybe it's the next one or the one to come in the future. But we can look back and we can have joy 
in God our Father because of the way, in His own way, He, he used that season so that I might be useful to bear fruit in this one. The joy comes in the Lord knowing that He is good and loving and kind to you. You see, you're His son. You're His daughter. And He loves you. So when He prunes you, it's because He loves you. And He sees outside of your time. And again, pruning is not easy, but it is necessary. Let's move on to verse 4. This goes on. He says, Abide in Me. And, I, and you can see all of the highlighted abides in here if we have it on the screen. But abide in Me and I in you. There we go. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in Me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from Me you can do nothing. Now let me read that. For apart from Me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in Me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Seven times the word abide. If you continue to read on in this passage, and we will together, you will see the word abide several more times. So Jesus obviously is trying to communicate something here. Remember that it's, it, when Jesus speaks these words, he, He's speaking to a small group of people. It's very intimate. It's very personal. Abide in me, abide in me, abide if my words abide in you, and I and you abide in me, and I in you, then you'll bear much fruit. Abide in me, if my word abides, abide, abide, Jesus says. They had the privilege of being close to Jesus. Do you know that? You have the privilege of being close to Jesus. Did you know that? They spent quality time with Jesus. You can spend quality time with Jesus. That word abide in the Greek, it's, it means stay or, or remain or, or even hang out, linger, loiter. Now think about it. Just to be with Jesus. That's what the disciples did. They hung out with Him. They followed Him. They listened to Him. They remained in Him. They stayed with Him. They hung out with Him. They abided in Him as they were able, as His followers during the life and ministry of Jesus. If you want to be like Jesus, you need to spend time with Jesus. And that's my second point. To abide in Jesus is to hang out with Jesus. And to hang out with Jesus is to bear fruit. That's what we want. We want to bear fruit, right? That's how we live in the kingdom of God. We bear fruit. And so, to abide in Jesus is to hang out with Him. And to hang out with Jesus is to be and live a fruitful life. And in other words, the more that you're with Him, the more fruitful that you will be. But what does He say in verse Five, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you will and can do nothing. That's what Jesus says. And so, if you're not spending time with Him, then you're not bearing fruit. And if you're not bearing fruit, then God isn't glorified. It's what we see in this passage. And if God isn't glorified, then you're really not a disciple. This is what Jesus says to those who aren't really His disciples. You're taken away and you're cut off thrown into the fire. And I believe this is an eternal separation from the Father. Eternal separation from our Lord. We obviously want to be with Jesus. We should want to hang out with Him. 
loiter around Him, be with Him, abide in Him, because, because that's where life is found, church. The vine is the source of life. You want to be with Jesus and hang out with Jesus. It means that life will come out of you. It means that you'll be fruitful, which means He's the source for life. He's the source to, to, to grow the fruit. And so let's just finish our time together just being very practical. Very, very practical. What does it mean to be and hang out with Jesus? What does it mean to abide in Jesus? Let me just give you a, a, few, a couple of ways. Uh, let me just tell you how I abide in Jesus. Um, I wake up every morning, except for Sunday, because I, I look over this, and I, my goal is to spend about an hour in the Word of God. And that includes prayer time. But I pray you know, all day. You know, in my car, here when I come here. Anytime I, I, I'm able to pray, you know, I'll, I'll pray. Now, of course, I don't pray as much as I would like. Does anybody? But I try to read God's Word every day for one hour except for Sunday. I don't, we have a Bible reading plan. I don't read it on Sundays. I look over my sermon and I pray. And unhurried time with Jesus. Do you have that? Do you have unhurried time with Jesus? When you wake up in the morning, you know your schedule. So if you know you have to be somewhere or do something, then, then you're going to get up a little earlier your schedule. You're gonna, but do you have unhurried time with Jesus? Not, you know, a preacher gave me a Bible reading plan and, you know, I'm a Christian and, and I know there's some things I need to read. And so if, let me, if I just skim through it, I, then I did it. I checked my Bible. Do you have unhurried time with Jesus? Don't bother me. My phone's in the other room. I'm spending time with Jesus. I'm going to go hang out with Jesus. I'm going to read His Word. I'm going to abide in His words because He says, My Word abides in you. You will bear much fruit. Do you hang out with Jesus? Because the Bible is the Word of life. It speaks life and energy in the lives of those who belong to Jesus. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, yes, even Leviticus. Inspired by the Spirit of the living God. Useful for daily living, the Christian life. But to read it knowing that Jesus is there. Jesus is in these pages, church. Do you spend time with Jesus? Abide in me and I in you. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night that law. Well, Jesus sums up the law. Love the Lord your God with all of your being. Love your neighbor as yourself. You want to do well? Meditate on this Word. Hide it in your heart. Think about it. Let it process. Let it change and transform and renew your mind. You want your mind renewed? Hide this Word in your heart and meditate on it day and night. Because blessed is, thee, is, is He who does those things. Uh, so and I also use prayer cards. I, look, I... I, my goal is to try to pray for every person in this room and, and break that into uh, different days. Uh, I have a prayer card. It's got all of our young adults on there. I pray Scripture over them uh, once a week at least. And I just I have to have these uh, because I know what I'm praying and, and I write God's Word in different because I'm praying God's Word back to you. What does Jesus say? If you abide in Me and My words, My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Why? In the next verse, so that My Father will be glorified. And there's no better way to pray than to pray God's Word back to Him. Uh, the habits of the disciples when they walk with Jesus should be the habits of ours. To listen to Jesus. To know His voice. To read His Word. To abide in Him. To hang out with Him. If you're not having unhurried time hanging out with Jesus, then it will be less likely that you bear the fruit that Jesus wants you to produce. 
being with other people. Oh, and this is the last thing I will say. Um, if you're not in a life group, a smaller setting outside of this room, but, but you meet in somebody's home where there's a meal shared and there's prayer and there's, there's opening God's Word and just, and just living in that, if you're not doing that, man, you, you, you are living outside of what God wants for you. It's a, small groups are a part of growing in Christ. This is where we sharpen one another. In the, in the private setting of a household, this is where we sharpen one another. This is where we, we confess sins to one another. We pray over one another. We sharpen each other. We encourage each other. We share each other's burdens. We identify sins in the lives of our brothers and sisters through accountability. This is more likely to happen in a smaller setting, in a smaller group rather than a group like this. There's a, there's a sense of accountability that every single one of us needs. Now you can confess your sins all day long in your closet with God and that's good and that's needed and it's necessary but to confess your sins amongst other believers, that's where freedom is found. And so I want to encourage you if you're not doing that, you need to do that. You need to do that. Because if you're only coming here on Sunday and you're not spending time regularly with other believers, letting them know what's going on in your life so that they can pray for you, so that they can come alongside you, so that they can sharpen you, hold you accountable, you're missing out on what God has in store for your life. So here's what I believe on uh, 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 what a sermon should do. A sermon should bring conviction in your life. It should, it should encourage you in your walk with Jesus. It should lift you up. You, you should want to walk, walk out of here wanting more of Jesus. That's my prayer, that you would walk out of here wanting more of Jesus. The Spirit of God does not beat His people into the dirt. It doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. And so I want you to leave uh, encouraged. So to recap really quick, to bear fruit is to, to know that pruning is necessary. God will take care uh, uh, of us. He'll take us through things that, that uh, aren't easy, but it's necessary so we might bear fruit in the next season. And then the second thing is to abide in Jesus, is to hang out with Jesus. And to hang out with Jesus is to bear fruit. Bearing fruit and abiding is what we've discussed today. If if you're doing these two things, our Father in Heaven is glorified and you will prove to be His disciples. And so here's how, uh, you know, if, if you're not doing these things, the worship team can go ahead and come up here. If you're not doing these things, you might feel discouraged. Uh, but I want you to know that you know how many people are, that are in this room that might not be doing these things as they would like to be doing them? You think across the board, the Christian uh, community to the ends of the earth. How often, you know, it's all about our scheduling and, and what we want. Do you want to hang out with Jesus? Do you want to abide in Him? Do you want to live in the fruit of the Spirit? Um, because if you're not doing it like you want to do it, do not be discouraged. Look at Peter. Jesus came to Peter and said, Peter, follow me, for I will make you a fisher of men. Peter, you are the rock in which I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus said that to Peter. And then in the last moments of Jesus' life, Jesus says, they're going to come for the shepherd and they're going to slaughter him and the sheep, they're going to run astray. And Peter says, not me. I'll stay with you, Lord. I'll be there till the end. They may stray, they may fall away, but I'll be here. I'll even die for you. Jesus just says, Peter, bro, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. No, Lord, no. And they come for Jesus and, and Peter, you know, he's not quite living in the fruit of the Spirit, so he pulls out a sword and he tries to chop a guy's ear off. Jesus, who was living in the fruit, he, he bends down, picks that ear, puts it back on, 
Because Jesus is just that loving. So Peter, Peter was there. He, he said, Lord, I'll never turn away. I'll die for you. Even if the rest don't, I will. So they come and they get Jesus. And they're taking Jesus to see Caiaphas. And, and what's so amazing to me is Peter follows from a distance. So they take Jesus inside. They start questioning him. And it just so happens that Peter is able to weasel his way into this same room in which Jesus is being questioned. And somebody recognizes Peter. Hey, you're, you're, I can recognize your accent. You're from Galilee too. Jesus, Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. And they come around again. Hey, I recognize you. You're, from, you're following Jesus of Nazareth. I don't know this man. Mind you, Jesus is right over here. I don't know this man, Peter says. Third time. You look in the Bible. Third time this person comes by. I do. I know you. You speak the same language. You're a follower of Jesus. And it says Peter starts cursing at them. He's angry. He's annoyed. I don't know this man. Jesus is literally in the same room as Peter while all this is taking place. And then what happens? The rooster crows. What happened, what Jesus said would happen actually happened, and it broke the heart of Peter. And he says, the Bible says he goes away weeping. Can you imagine the hurt because of the failure and the shame that existed in Peter's heart? I, I let him down. See, Jesus' intention is not to shame anybody, ever. There's no guilt if you feel like you're falling short. The Spirit of God points us. That's why God is so gracious to us. He's not going to beat His children into the dirt. That's not what a loving father does. You know what kind of father does that? A bad one. God's not a bad father. He's a good father. And He's a perfect father. And so, here's what I love about the story of Peter. Jesus is... He's been crucified. He's been placed in the tomb. And Peter still has to live with that. The last moments of my Savior and Lord's life, I let him down and I failed him. I just broke his heart. I have just, I have just fallen so short in the shame, in the defeat, in the failure, in the guilt. But then when Jesus comes to the beach to ask his fishermen how they're doing, you catching any fish, and, and Peter notices who it is. And if you go and read that story, it says that Peter dove into the water and he swam to Jesus and the others rowed the boat back. Peter was so excited to see Jesus that he dove in the water and he swam after Him. Here's the point. If you feel like you're not abiding in Jesus and living in, in the fruit of the Spirit, bearing fruit, bringing glory to God with your life, you don't run from Jesus right now. You run to Him. That's what you do. Because if Jesus can look at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Then feed my flock. And what do you think Jesus is saying to us? He's not saying run from me. You're a failure. You're not doing a good job abiding. No, run to Him. Maybe that's what some people in this room need to do right now. You need to run to Jesus. Maybe you feel like you, you've been falling away and you've been running away. And what Jesus, the Spirit of the living God, is saying to you, you need to run back to Him. You need to run back to Him. Because you have a Father in Heaven who is seated upon a throne, high and lifted up, who exists out of space and time, who is ready to wrap His arms around you and say, come home and now walk with me. I want to pray over you and, and I want to invite anyone who, who maybe is in need of prayer. 
Maybe you feel like, yeah, I need to run to Jesus and I want someone to pray over me. And I would love to do that for you. Maybe you're here and, and you didn't quite know that you were a Christian because you were kind of a, a culture Christian and you had one foot in and one foot out, but the Spirit of God is saying, no, you need to be all in. And if that's you, I want to invite you to come forward because I would love to talk to you about what it means to be in relationship with the God of heaven. I am the vine, you are the branches, Jesus says. We belong to Him. That's what it means to live in the vine. Let me pray over us and then we'll worship together and then I'll have a closing prayer. Father, I just thank You so much for this church. God, I thank You for my brothers and sisters in this room who are, who are seeking You, who are following You, who are trying to live their lives in the busyness of their schedules. They're trying to live for You and live in You and abide in You and to, to be fruitful for You. But God, we, the world gets in the way. Jobs get in the way. Relationships get in the way. Things happen. Oh God, in Your grace and in Your mercy over us, Lord, You are so willing to redirect our path, to prune if necessary, to, to, to draw us in so that we might hang out with You, spend time with You, abide in You, so that we might feel close and near to You. God, would You, would you do that for those who are in this room who are in need of that? Through the power of Your Spirit, would You draw those in who need to feel like they belong to You and are in need of You, God, would you, would you draw them in? Would You encourage them through Your Holy Spirit that they're a child of God, a son or a daughter of the Most High, that You have not left them? You are not casting them out? You are pruning them and showing them that, that they belong to You, whether they bear fruit or not, because You're in a pruning season perhaps for some people. And so God, use this season for some people for Your glory to shape and to mold Your people that they might draw close to You and bear fruit for You. Father, I thank You for this time. I pray a blessing over everyone in this room. I pray that You would deepen the desire of every believer in this room that they might know You more. That You would stir the affections of every believer in this room for Your Son Jesus all the more. For the glory of Your great name I pray. Amen.